Well, our passage this morning, we have the brother of our Lord, James, who's addressing the necessity in this book, in his letter, to good works for the believer. He's already hinted at several things in this letter, and he's revealed, too, the heart of man is really the center and the core out of which these good works in response to God by faith are, are to be accomplished. He's called us in chapter 2 as well to be a, a perfect man in the sense of not being judgmental of others. As his brother has said, judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And James tells us, for he shall have judgment without mercy, who has shown no mercy. And then he goes on to describe what a life of godliness, a life of Christ-likeness will be looking like. It's evidenced by these works, by these things that are done in our bodies and by our hearts that are reflective of the salvation we have received in Jesus Christ. And if there are no works in our life that evidence this transition from death unto life, we need to examine ourselves whether or not we know the Lord Jesus Christ, whether there is a presence of faith. And it's very interesting that James uses and expands perhaps in the most um, expansive part of Scripture about the tongue as one of the evidences of this reality, that if we confess faith in Jesus Christ, it will be evident by the things we do, or in particular, the things that we say. In other words, James is already raising, as it were, a red flag for us of caution as we enter chapter 3. He has said at the end of chapter 1, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is vain. There is a deceptive element here that we aren't even listening to the words that we are speaking which are coming from, as James is indicating, from our hearts. And we need to take inventory today about the words that we speak. Um, what if this morning, instead of having a presentation of a chapel message, we would have had a tape recorder around each of our necks for the last week, and we played those parts that we don't want anyone else to hear, and that was our chapel message this morning. Really, that's the heart at which James is getting at here. And God wants us this morning to pause by His words and listen to what He has to say uh, to us in these moments. And so, the theme I want to look at is the calling to tame our tongues. That's what James is getting at in this passage. And first of all, in verse 1, we see it is an essential consideration for teachers. Second, he gives us some examples, and I want to give some further examples in general about the use of our tongue. And then lastly, I want to look at how this exposes our hearts. It might be a temptation, if you were, I suppose, preaching through the book of James, to lightly brush over verse 1. Many, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Perhaps... Very few in the congregation would really notice, especially in the King James. Masters seems to be a 
a term we wouldn't generally use, but it's for us in particular here today, those who are teachers here, but those of you who are aspiring to be teachers in any way, in any capacity, in religious things, James is here focusing upon this very truth. We could spend a whole chapel, I suppose, on verse 1 and unpack it, but I want to consider it briefly because it's so essential to the argument of James. Because the word here he uses for master is indeed uh, a teacher. The Jews had called those who were teachers of religious things masters. They called Jesus a master. When Jesus met with Nicodemus, he even used the word, are you a master in Israel and you do not know these things? Well, as, as I was studying also verse 1, it's very convicting. If we are in this position to be an ambassador, a mouthpiece of God, that's a high calling. It's a privileged calling. It's a blessed calling. But James is very clear here that this shouldn't just be some kind of desire to be in the forefront a desire to be seen or heard of others. Indeed, we would have all men, as Moses would, to be prophets, to be evangelists and teachers in the church. Would to God that were so, and they were filled with the Spirit. But we have this sobering reality that when we have come to this place of being ordained as teachers and, and preachers, we will receive, as James says here, the greater condemnation, the greater, if you will, examination of the words that we, we have spoken. James's point is that we ought to be considering the cost of what it means to be the mouthpiece of God, to speak in behalf of the Master himself, to be a preacher, an ambassador of God, to clearly reflect as we bring this word what God would want said to that particular time and that particular audience and that particular circumstance from his word. We're called to speak as it were in Christ's behalf. Just as an ambassador to any country would hesitate, I would hope to say something that wouldn't be in line with what his home country and the leadership of his home country is uh, asking him to say. How much more our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who sends us forth to be, as it were, his mouthpiece and the use of our tongues is accomplishing that. We formulate words and ideas and teaching through the use of our tongues. And through those words that we speak, James is saying we will receive a greater examination. And the onus is really put on us to um, examine ourselves in relation to the words that we speak. Of course, this has implication for those who hear. It has implication for you who are hearing the message this morning as well. But it's implication to our congregations who are to be hearing the voice of God as we speak the word that we have received of him. So if this word calls to repentance, we're to preach and sound that trumpet with all clarity. If it's a call to comfort, if it's a call to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever this word of God is speaking, we are to proclaim that word with authority and clarity. 
for the glory of God. And so it's no small thing to stand before a congregation in behalf of God himself and to set before our hearers, this is the way of life and this is the way of death. And so James is saying here, God will hold us to a higher standard, if you will, higher accountability as a religious teacher. And so he is saying to us, don't all of you seek to be teachers? That day it probably was something to be sought after, to be a a teacher, to have others look up to you and everyone going around calling you master. We don't aspire to the office of preaching the word of pastor, of teacher, to have others say to us, even by the various titles, doctor or pastor or reverend, we are to be servants as we minister. We are simply to be the voice of God to those to whom we speak. And so this should cause us this morning to have pause. The Apostle Paul said, in other words, He that keeps under his body and brings it into subjection, lest by any means I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. How much more when we are speaking? We're to speak the whole counsel of God. We're to speak that even when it's convicting to ourselves and not minimize or hinder that word from going forth. But as we think of the word that we are called to bring, Think of ourselves as we are in our study preparing that word, first of all, lest we become a castaway. We can't compromise this word, even if we ourselves may struggle in a particular area of life. We're to clearly set forth what God is saying. Now, why would James bring up something like being a teacher when he's going to talk about the tongue? I think one particular aspect of this is to speak words of truth and not error. James is going to lead us into the thought about our speech that our tongue can be used for good or for evil. And there are many teachers today who are speaking religious truth that are leading people astray. And I trust as we go through the seminary and we we receive the learning and education here and our hearts are taught by the Holy Spirit, that would be a great fear for us individually and also as an institution. That God would keep us faithful so that knowing on that day we who are teachers receive a scrutiny that even others would not receive. Now, as James goes forward here, it seems as if he's um, unpacking, perhaps, the words of his brother, Jesus, who said, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so in our second thought, what what examples here is uh, James using to expand upon this idea and press it home upon those to whom he writes, believers indeed who hear this message. He gives us several examples. The first example he he's giving us is of a, of a horse. And I, and I imagine if you've been to a parade, you've seen the Clydesdales or 
Um, the Belgian horses, their shoulders are probably this high from off of the floor. And they have a bit and a bridle in their mouths. And the person sitting on them is able to guide this powerful, muscular horse wherever he would want him to go. You could probably put a child on the saddle and that child could govern this massive creature wherever he would want the creature to go. And that's why we put these bits, as James says, into their mouth. So that it can be controlled. And the idea here is, so our tongues are to be controlled. This little bit governs and leads the whole horse. But it's in the tongue, it's in the mouth. It's there that this governing takes place. And the second example that he, he gives is very similar he gives the example of a large ship being driven by, by the wind and the waves. And this would be perhaps comparable today to the, if you take one of the largest U.S. Navy aircraft carriers, the Dwight D. Eisenhower. It weighs over 180 million pounds. It has 280,000 horsepower. 280,000 Clydesdales, if you will, powering by nuclear reactors, carrying over 6,000 people in 90, 90 aircraft. And yet, this huge monstrosity of a ship is controlled by a rudder that is one one-thousandth of its size. You can move this ship in the water wherever you will guide it and navigate it by a little probably in this day a computer panel, but in those days by a handle to shift the rudder. Now in both of these instances, James is giving us the picture here of the tongue, a very small member, and yet it's very powerful. And I think sometimes we don't understand the real power of our tongues for good or for ill. Just recently was talking to someone who who um, one of their children had was seeing someone, a, a partner, and, and a deacon came up to them and said, you better watch out for them. They're, they're kind of a wild one. He was joking. But this one of the couple was very insecure, had negative thoughts about themselves. And it seemed for a period of years they held this in about what this deacon had said you're a wild one. And what the words we speak, especially in the positions that we, we trust will be given of God, we need to weigh carefully the words that we speak. And James goes on here to describe this destructive character of, of the tongue. It's like a Fire, and, and you know how a small fire, just a campfire, left unattended un, and soon can be out of control and burn thousands of acres. A number of years ago, there was a forest fire started in British Columbia. It burnt a hundred square miles of forest and woodlands. It destroyed dozens of homes and businesses. Count, uh, estimated count of $31 million to put out the fire. Eventually, they found the source, a man who had smoked a cigarette and didn't put the butt out completely in his backyard. 
a little spark, a little flame, and soon a roaring forest fire. And so that's why James here has this picture in view. The tongue really is a world of iniquity. It's capable of expressing all kinds of evil and hatred and envy and lust. These are the the scripture's terms that, that are used for the tongue. A deceitful tongue, a wicked tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a crafty tongue, a flattering tongue, a shameless, slanderous tongue, gossiping tongue, backbiting tongue, blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, complaining tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue, a whispering tongue. And James is saying this tongue, this little member, by nature, is set on a course, a fire of hell. I want to briefly give you four categories, I think, that could be summarized as to the different ways we need to examine our our use of our tongue. And I, I give the first category the title of a slander category. This this would include such things as gossip, judging, backbiting, tail by a tail bearing, and whispering. It's about speaking about others. These sins of the tongue are primarily dealing with perhaps true information. But it is for the intent of speaking about, not positively, but negatively, often a brother or sister in the Lord. There are many conversations and words that make up this kind of use of the tongue, particularly gossip. Robert Murray McShane resolved that when a fellow Christian's name was mentioned in company, if he could not say anything good about him, he would refrain from all speech. Better that surely than to be careless with fire and destroy a brother for whom Christ died. Let's be careful about our use of our tongues. Gossip could be just simply passing words of another But slander is even more evil in its intent. I think of our Lord himself. Not only slander, but falsehood, which is the second category I've labeled in the use of our tongue. When Jesus was heard and seen to say, I will destroy this temple and build it up again in three days, they used his words that he spoke by their words to twist and distort his very intention of his words, which was ultimately, in some sense, the final nail in his conviction and condemnation. And Thomas Watson has said, He that speaks slander... Falsehood has a devil's tongue, and he that delights in hearing it has a devil's ear. When we think of falsehoods and untruths, deception, intentional misrepresentation, distortions, hypocrisies, flattery, all these are another category of not about someone else, but just distortion of what is true and we know to be true. And aren't all of these things 
really having its origin in he who at the very beginning said, has God really said? That's the origin and the evil one himself who is called the father of lies, who is called the accuser of the brethren. Another category we could say is a complaining category. And we see this in the children of Israel as they travel through uh, the wilderness. Complaining against God. Complaining about their circumstances of life. Complaining about how things are going with them. And, and, and various other complaints. Indeed, we ought to speak the truth, but in love. And we ought to recognize that God, our Father, if we confess Him and believe that to be true, He is governing all the events of our lives. And therefore, we ought not murmur or complain about the things He brings upon our path, knowing and believing His Word to be true, that all these things shall be working together for good to those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. So think about the use of your tongue. Do we use it to be seen as well in the eyes of others, self-reflective on ourselves, or are we seeking to speak truth, whatever the cost, even when it means confessing our own sin? Another category we could say is a complaining category of grumbling and arrogancy and fretting, a contentious tongue, a scoffing tongue. Paul says in 1 Corinthians where he mentions also again the children of Israel complaining. He says don't follow their example lest somehow we fall after their same sin. The last category I give to you is a careless category. Peter speaks in some way about this and these scoffers in the last day who, who look around them and they see Seemingly no evidence of the return or of the existence of God, and they are scoffing. They mock the moral standards of God's word with a seared conscience, as we see today in our culture. A careless tongue is one that is no conception and recognition of who God is, who made us, gave us a tongue to speak and communicate and to glorify him and to edify one another. James says, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. And Jesus said, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's use our tongues to confess openly and freely, even in this age in which it is not looked upon with great acceptance, that our Lord, our ambassador, who is our king and master who is sending us as ambassadors, is the one who indeed sits in heaven itself. So as we go through these different categories, and we could expand them even more, James is saying... In every way, our tongues are a fire. And he comes to this conclusion, who is able to control this? Who is able 
to tame this. Verse 8, but the tongue can no man tame. It's like many other sins that people engage in. We seek our utmost, perhaps, in our human effort to control and to change our, our behaviors and, and the actions that we do even, or try to change our thoughts. But here James is saying this tongue, this little member, having its root within our heart, if we simply, through human exertion, try to change it, we will fail. And so he is saying these things originate from our heart. It's not just changing some kind of use of our tongue. It originates in our heart. James is inferring that we need, therefore, another heart, a new heart within us. He has expressed this when he has said, We indeed have received of the Lord this new life. That's what he is saying, out of which will flow this gratitude to God for what he has done. If you look at verse 18 of chapter 1, he is saying, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's only when we are engrafted into Jesus Christ, we are drawing strength from Him and likeness to Him from Him, that this expression here is bearing fruit of using our tongue to glorify Him and edify our neighbor. Jesus said in Matthew 12, O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's what James is getting at here. He, he is saying if you go to a, a brook up in the mountains and you put down your cup into the water and you drink, and it's sweet. The next time you put your cup down into the water and drink again, it's not going to be bitter. But if you go to another place and there's a pool of water and it's stagnant and you take a sip of it and you drink and you let down the cup again and you drink, it's going to still be bitter. He's saying it's either one or the other. Where is the fountain of our words, our, our speech arising from? Are we living our lives in dependency upon Christ? What James is doing, he's showing us that if our tongue is not changed and our heart is not transformed, it is an evidence that we need to seriously consider whether or not we are united to Jesus Christ. Someone put it this way, if the Spirit of God is not in control of our tongue, he is likely not in control of much else either. That's what James is saying here. This he's using as an evidence. What we say with our words, how we are using our tongues, is an evidence of our whole person. Because it originates, again, from our hearts. Now, who of us this morning can say that we are pure, the perfect man in regard to the use of our tongues? Who is without sin? Can throw the first stone. We all are sinning in this regard. 
But God is gracious. He comes to us with this truth. And, and as I was thinking about this this morning, yesterday, I was thinking we all fail, not to excuse, because James is very clear about we need to examine ourselves with the use of our tongue about the root and the origin of whether we are united to Christ or not. And yet at the same time, as he says, who can tame it? I was thinking then, in light of this truth, of Peter. He had been transformed in his heart. He had come to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Who will die with you? We will. I will. Even to the point of death. And then they come to the garden. And from there to the hall of Caiaphas. And that same tongue, and the same heart, spoke words with cursing. I don't know that man. And yet our Lord comes to Peter after his resurrection. And he asks this penetrating question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And finally, at the bottom of it all, it was Peter who had to say, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And if this is our heart and we know that reality in our experience, then, as James goes on to say, that kind of wisdom, that kind of love does not proceed from below. It proceeds from above. We may take courage to go forward in this battle against this particular sin and others in our body, knowing that loving Christ It began with his love to us, and therefore we are to put to death the deeds of the body, particularly the deeds of our tongue, to serve the glory of our master, in whose behalf we speak. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, what a wonder it is that to those who have used our tongues so carelessly, so sinfully, would delight in having us stand in thy presence in worship, in praise, in adoration with even, may we say, greater delight than the angels who never fell. O Lord, hasten the day in which from our hearts, through our tongues, we shall speak and sing and glorify thee without hindrance. So, Lord, help us to depend upon our Lord Jesus Christ and united to him by faith may put to death these deeds of the tongue, of our body, to demonstrate that indeed we are united to him, we love him, we desire to walk in obedience to him. And so bless us as we go forward, as we teach, as we receive teaching, as we go forth in various other capacities from week to week and day to day. Hear our prayer, gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen.